Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my lovely daughter and co-host, Lauren Simonian. Welcoming you to another session of self-coaching where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. So hello, Princess Summerfall Winter Spring Daughter. <laughs> Why, hello. Thank mm. you for that lovely introduction. Well, you're quite welcome. I... I think that you are lovely and also uh, I, I like the reference to Princess Summer Fall Winter Spring. That's from the Howdy Doody Show, the 1950s, because I am a baby boomer and you are a what? I am a millennial. And You've taught me to be like disappointed about my status. How's, how's that millennial thumb? Is it healing? Yeah, it's all healed. Yeah, Lauren, Lauren had developed a, a kind of carpal tunnel type of thing from the texting that goes on. And she, she's on the men now. You know, I've never met a baby boomer with, uh, with a millennial thumb. Don't Must be called I? boomer thumb from like dialing the actual telephone. No, 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 no. Doesn't That's happen, huh? One of the uh, ailments that, that boomers do not get. So anyhow, I'm pretty happy today. Uh, are you happy? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. And that's that's amazing, the coincidence there, because today's podcast is a common sense approach to happiness. Hmm. hmm. What a coincidence. <laughs> you don't sound very happy, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, let, let me start off with a quote by Seneca. And Seneca had said, true happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence upon the future. What do you think that is pointing at? I love that quote. Well, and I, I think that it's so true because people often believe that in order to be happy, certain things have to happen first. And so they're on this quest or pursuit of happiness, which always sort of exists at some later point in the future. Like once I accomplish this or once I finish that, I'll finally be able to feel happy. Yeah, we're always, you're right. I mean, we're always, we're always saying once I get that new uh, Jaguar or that new house or whatever it might be, then I'll be happy. Yeah. And then all these things come and, and you say to yourself, yeah, I've got that car and I've got that house now, but, but you know, I, I don't have the vacation I need to. So it's always, you know, kicking that can down the road, isn't it? But, you know, before we go on, I'd like to play a song today. It happens to be one of my favorite songs and it's from the twenties, which probably doesn't surprise you. Nope, not at all. So let's take a listen. Uh, listen to the words carefully and you tell me at the end of this verse, if you're not happier, okay? Okay. You're happy already, right? I am, just okay. in preparation. Here we go. Happy days are here again. The skies above are clear again. 
let us sing a song of cheer again. Happy days are here again. All together, shout it now. There's no one who can doubt it now. So let's tell the world about it now. Happy days are here again. So it worked. Happy days are here again. Woohoo! <laughs> I mean, that is really, truly an uplifting song. And yeah, I'm going to go humming that for the rest of the day after we finish. It is pretty good. It reminds me of the the same the song, Here Comes the Sun. It's mm -hmm. like it's all about to change. I like that too. So let's talk about a common sense approach to happiness. And yeah, uh, I know Maslow had a hierarchy of needs, but you've talked about it at various points in our podcast. Mm -hmm. And once the more basic survival, basic needs are fulfilled, people really tend to gravitate towards more of the psychological, emotional needs. And and I think that I think you'll agree that at the peak of that psychological hierarchy is self-actualization, where where someone needs to feel this deep sense of both understanding of happiness, of joy. So it's it's one of those important psychological needs, right? Yes, yes. And you know, there's a whole psychology now that's based uh, on finding and pursuing happiness. It's called positive psychology. You know, can you, I mean, are there negative psychology? <laughs> well, some psychology feels negative, like the, I guess the Freudian stuff where you go and just analyze your problems and sort of get stuck in the negativity, right? You, you say Freudian, I mean, we don't want to you know, downplay anybody's orientation, but I, but I think you're right. I mean, I mean, I have to express my bias and, and my bias is that if you go back and dissect and dissect and dissect, you know, you go down these rabbit holes, these, you know, that just keep going deeper and deeper. And at some level, you know, you're almost looking for where the trauma began, you know, where the negatives began. So I, I agree with you. I, I think a, a kind of uh, deductive approach where you go back trying to reduce everything to those early traumas, that's not happy days are here again, right? <laughs> right. Happiness, well, that's that can be elusive. And, you know, in happiness, it's this diffuse thing. It's, it's so broadly defined. Sometimes it's called subjective well-being. But uh, to me, the common sense is to understand that we, we tend to misinterpret this thing called happiness. You know, whenever insecurity is steering us, you know, the pursuit of happiness comes to a screeching halt. And what I mean by that is, is these are the... You know, when we value the wrong things, uh, for example, money. Let's let's talk about people that value money too much, or or look at money as a way to happiness. Do you, do you ever feel you need more money to be happy? I never attach too much to money, but I do sometimes catch myself thinking, if I had this experience, if I had this vacation, if I had this thing, life would be easier. Would be bring more joy. Yeah. So I know that that's not true, but I do often notice that. Well, well, it's not totally wrong either or false. And let me tell you why, because material things certainly can fall into that insecurity driven need for more accumulated money and wealth and all that kind of stuff. But 
the desire to have money to go on a vacation, to buy more time, these, these to me fall somewhere in between because you, you want to establish those things in your life that really are restorative. So do you see what I'm saying? Like wanting, wanting that, that beautiful car is different from wanting to go on a beautiful vacation mm. because you're buying yourself restore. You're giving yourself a gift of time. Yeah. And that kind of, I guess, traces back to the ego. If you're trying to find money to bolster your ego in some way, whether it's status or praise or whatever it might be, that's not a healthy want or need. And then the other want or need would be more for like an internal restoration, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and going on what you're saying is the, the quest for power, you know, or potency, you know, that's we pursue such things because you know we're trying to be invulnerable you know oftentimes what prevents us from you know really looking for true happiness is we're really trying to compensate our insecurities so uh, you know you, you mentioned the ego and when the ego struggles when insecurity prompts it uh, we we look we look for maybe the money to compensate and you know as we said earlier when i have that then i'll be happy but power as you're looking to be invulnerable and, and going along with, with power, uh, oh, Henry Kissinger once said, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. You know, it's power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So, you know, we think that these are the things that happiness is made out of, and it's not. Like status, right? You, you mentioned that a bit. Um, when there's a compulsivity to, to really you know, be respected more or loved more, or get that position or that honor or that title. You know, we're compensating a, a, an insecure ego. So happiness, you know, those are the wrong places to look for happiness because ultimately it's not going to give you lasting happiness. It's going to give you transient happiness. I think you'll agree with that. I do agree with that, yes. But you don't have to agree. Um, I do. I do agree. And I think that it's also good information if you can become aware of the things that you are craving, like whether it's status or power or whatever it is, uh, because the things that you're craving, just like in normal life with food, are the things that you are um, lacking. And so whatever you're looking for from the external world is something that you're not feeding yourself mm. internally. So it just helps to, to become aware of what is it that you're seeking? And then the question is why, what are you, what do you not have internally and, and how can you get it in a healthy way as opposed to looking for it from external yeah. sources? That's, that's, that's a really good point. And we should launch into that, that when, when you're looking for happiness externally, as opposed to internally, when when it's the objects, the things that we buy, the you know the titles that we're aspiring to. Whenever we're compensating a, a weak or vulnerable ego, call that insecurity, uh, those things are never going to bring the happiness. So you make you make that point very well, Lauren. It's it's got to come from the inside. Uh, and There's this photo that I love, or it's actually a little drawing of two characters, and one of them is holding this it looks almost like a pot or a jar and inside of it has all this, you know, sparkly stuff coming out of it and, and it's labeled happiness. And the other character asks, Hey, where did you get that? I've been looking for it everywhere. And the character holding happiness says, um, I didn't get it. 
I made it myself. <laughs> and I love that because it's so true. Like everyone wants it and we're all looking to somebody else to give it to us. But the only way to really find it is to find it within yourself. You can't give it to somebody else and you can't okay. get it from somebody else. Okay. So you can't give it, you can't get it from somebody else. But isn't it true that sometimes we allow people to kind of steal our happiness? I mean, can, can people make you unhappy? I mean, that's a reasonable question, right? you have to decide whether or not what people do and say are going to affect you. And it's up to you to decide what you let in. Yeah. So it's, I think it's important to, to really say that happiness is not something you can ever own or possess. There will be transient bumps along the way. I mean, so anyone that thinks that they should be happy all the time is going to get very unhappy because they, they're finding out that they can't be happy all the time. So mm. they're going to they're be bummed out. Yeah. The other thing too, like you're saying, like, first of all, being happy all the time is not an attainable goal, nor should it be a goal at all. Because if you don't know the depths of despair, you can't know great joy or great happiness. It's just impossible. You have to be able to experience the whole spectrum in order to have like a fully embodied life. So I think that it is important to remember that you can't be happy all of the time, but we can make it a default setting. So even though experiences may come and life may change and our emotional state is constantly shifting, we can default and we can go back to the state of inner joy, which is a great way to live. Yeah, default, um, a default setting that, that that describes it. So basically, yeah. you know, that's that's the the um, the place that we need to wind up with. So we may be distracted or, or we may be tipped off of that place, but, but we can get back to it. Right. Yeah. And Brene Brown, who is one of my favorite writers and speakers and researchers, she says that joy is actually the emotion that people fear the most. It is the most uncomfortable emotion for mm. most people, like true, pure joy creates a lot of resistance and a lot of fear for people. And in her research, she found that that was true because everybody that she interviewed basically said, when I feel true joy, I am terrified that it's going to get taken away from me because yeah. we all know, like, you know, impermanence is, uh, you know, a thing. <laughs> so yes. yeah, it was like one mother who she interviewed was saying that, you know, at night when she watches her baby fall asleep and in the baby's crib, um, you know, she's just overwhelmed with joy. And then there's this parallel fear of like, how do I protect this child? How, you know, what will I do if something happens and I can't be there to help? And just all of these fears mm -hmm. or, or what if my child's taken from me, you know, like the yeah. fear that every mother has. And so, um, yeah, that was just one extreme yeah. example of, well, that's a good example, but you see, the thing is that's where insecurity enters the picture and you're trying to possess the moment. So, the moment is not something can, that can be possessed. You know, we can't we can't hold on to that happiness and that's that moment of security. And and when someone insists on that, then obviously what's going to happen? It's going to drive the fears because basically then you get into these fantasies of losing that moment. And and all of that does one thing: it robs you of the moment. So that that blissful, joyful moment that you're talking about is snatched away by this, this ruminative fear of it being ended. So the best way to kill a joyful moment is to anticipate it going away. <laughs> yep, like, that's so true. 
And, and every once in a while in these podcasts, I, I feel that we are killing those joyful moments, but not today. Isn't there an expression called a joy kill? Like a person who kind of brings down the mood? That's a buzz kill. I think there's a joy kill too. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess so. I guess they're the same thing. Yeah, I, I thought it was buzz kill. I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. See, I'm getting joy kill, very, very, they're, they're parallel very, terms. Very unhappy. But, it, but that also goes to the to speak to that fear around joy because there are a lot of people who whom joy is intolerable to like sometimes people who are miserable are very comfortable being that way and it's difficult for them to be around people that are happy or joyful like they actually detest that yeah. because it it shows them what they are un, like unable to face inside of themselves you know a joyless person that, that's an interesting concept people that are generally unhappy sometimes are protective of their unhappiness I, I guess it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't or maybe it's what you were talking about a few minutes ago that that they they cling to the joylessness in their life because they don't want to get into the joy the possibilities of enjoying or, or being happy because they know it's going to end so the insecurity can speak in very convoluted ways and one way I guess insecurity can can drive our lives or steer our lives is to say, well, you just don't want to get too happy because you know what's going to happen. It won't last. So mm -hmm. once again, you know, we're looking at happiness in that guys as something that we either possess and have all the time or why bother? Right. And that actually, that exact expression, I look at it the opposite way, which is you don't want to get too happy because it's not going to last. And it, in my perception, it's like nothing ever lasts. Like impermanence is a state of, of life. And so, but that knowing that makes those moments even more precious. And so when you can experience the happiness and the joy, you just go like head first, full on in and take, you know, just like take every last drop of juice from the experience so that you have it like, and, and once you have the experience, it's in your memory, it's in your cells, it's in your body, like you have it forever, the memory of that thing. Mm -hmm. So while nothing can last, and we all have to experience hardship and suffering, there also is the beauty of life that a lot of people choose to miss just be, so that they don't have to fall so mm -hmm. far afterward. And, and dentists. And dentists, yeah. You know your 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 spiritual your spiritual boyfriend is that what you were calling him? Yeah, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, uh, things when when we we look at things not lasting, we we've abandoned the moment, and and that's you know that's that's part of being present is that you know you're not trying to cling or manipulate the moment. You're you're trying to just be with the moment. Once we we leave the present then there's not much chance that you can really embrace that happiness because now happiness exists in that moment, in that present moment. You could say, well, when I get that uh, brand new car, I'll be happy, but that's an abstraction. Uh, the thought of having that car may make you feel, you know, somewhat buoyed up and happy, but that's not the same thing as genuine happiness because it, as we said before, that's one of those externals, but true happiness if it comes, because it isn't something that we can necessarily predict or, or just generically create, but when it does happen rather serendipitously, if we cling to it, it's like a flower. If we cling to a flower and say, I don't want this flower to wilt, you know, then we, we can't enjoy the moment of that flower. You know, am I being too uh, poetic? 
No, I completely agree. I remember I my that... mother, let me just, I, I'm sorry yeah. for interrupting, but uh, uh, my mother, your grandma Mary, um, it always bothered me that she would say, don't ever get me flowers because they'll die. <laughs> and, and I still feel sad that she had that perspective. And you could see why, right? Because basically she she didn't want to have to ha lose that moment of joy. It's very, very sad kind of revelation. It is a good metaphor too. Yeah, and I do actually know a few people who do not like flowers for that same reason. But it is it is sad because they're unable to appreciate the beauty because they're already thinking about the death. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, Whereas if you're in the moment and you're present, you can appreciate everything about that flower, which makes the experience with it worthwhile, even knowing that it is not permanent. Yeah, let me bring you back to a, I'm sure, a favorite vacation of yours. You remember Santorini? Yes, I do. Well, we were coming back from a wedding, my son Justin's and Samira, and they're, uh, they got married in Greece. And we, were, we stopped at Santorini. And Santorini is, is it's a place that's populated by many more people than it should hold. And they all flock to Santorini for one thing. Do you remember what that one thing is? Sunsets. Sunsets. Yep. And so we're, here we are at Santorini and we're getting ready to be like every other tourist. And we're going to see that sunset. And if you recall, there were so many people trying to get to a vantage point uh, in the uh, to see the western sky you couldn't you couldn't see the sunset mm -hmm. <laughs> there were too many people you couldn't you couldn't get close enough to even see the sunset but the reason i bring that up is because the sunset is is like one of those flowers it, it's so transient and if you can't appreciate it in that moment then you're going to want it to set slower <laughs> you're going to want the sun to not, not go down not go down no no and and it's hard for people that that want to cling. I, can you help me out? Why do you think some people have such a problem clinging to the happiness or the joy they might feel periodically? What, what is it that makes them want to cling to it? Any idea? I guess it's just the like we were talking about before the fear of of losing it and yeah. and because that the flowers, yeah. The vibration of joy is so high it's it's literally a different vibration that can be measured scientifically like the vibration of joy is very very high and fast and the vibration of you know a mundane feeling or, or fear drops significantly so we know all of the the whole spectrum and so to have to drop off of that joy vibration is is difficult yeah you're right you're right you're right you're absolutely right so something and I guess there's a chemical response also, but when we are in a state of joy or happiness, that's got to be some chemicals flowing around there, whether it be oxytocin or dopamine, or but there are things going on that we don't want to let go of. It feels so good. <laughs> yeah, so true. I, I know with millennials, a lot of times I, I notice people taking photos of everything so it's like it. uh yeah you know instead of enjoying the moment they're oh. they're looking for ways to save it like through through photographs and i think a lot of times people miss out on oh. the actual experience because they're too busy trying to get their phone out and take a picture of it you have hit the proverbial nail on the head 
that's why that's why you're becoming my spiritual you're my spiritual daughter advisor uh, <laughs> you that, just like when i make fun of millennials no, no but that that is so quintessential of everything we're talking about right now you're, you're taking a picture because you want to take that joy and uh, just make it a permanent part of your life you're going to own that picture and 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 you're right and all those moments that you're wasting trying to move that that joy forward to another time when you're looking at those pictures uh, is taking you off that present. And, and, and I think not all pictures and not all photography uh, is crazy. Uh, you know, I like astrophotography and that's that's crazy in its own sort. Yeah, I was going to say. But but basically, when when you're photographing a sunset or a flower, sure, we can look back at that and have fond memories. And, and we should take photographs. It's not that we shouldn't take photographs. But when your eye is glued to the, the finder or the phone or whatever it is, and to the extent that those pictures are more important than living that moment, and that's what we're saying. We're not, we're not anti-photography here. We're saying that when you are glued to the camera because you're trying to own that moment, what are some of the things we could do to enhance happiness? I think first thing that comes to my mind is to try to find a sense of purpose in life. Mm. You know, purpose is, you know, that's, I know it's elusive for a lot of people, but there are a lot of people who, who would really cringe people that say, well, I can't find the darn purpose in my life. Well, what, what do you say? I mean, what, tell me about your purpose. Let's talk about how you found your purpose. Do you feel a sense of purpose? I do feel a sense of purpose. And I think that comes from this like innate need or desire to connect with others and, and to help the people around me. And uh, I actually think that became really clear for me when I was in college and there was a woman who worked in the cafeteria and I might've told this story in another podcast, but it just is such a defining moment for me when I realized that this woman who was working you know, long hours doing work that to many would feel very like trivial and not rewarding. Uh, she basically would just check everyone out. And this one particular woman was so revered by everyone on campus, like people would line up at her register because she had this way of connecting with people. And she actually made meaning out of a meaningless job, like her way of passing on joy to others was so contagious. And I remember sort of knowing that that woman would inspire me to find meaning in whatever it is that I'm doing, to find connection and joy in ways that are always a choice. Yeah, uh, meaning. I always say the meaning of life is the meaning you put into it. But making your present count. And, and in that present, if you could introduce and cultivate some real interests, things that turn you on, whether it's spinning a clay on a, on a wheel or uh, learning a new instrument, but, but looking to not rock the world so much, but to really connect to those things that speak to you. Purpose can be just about anything that you feel a resonance with. I don't know, am I underplaying what purpose should be? I mean, I, I guess for some people, it's much more than that, but it can be much less than that too. Yeah, I think that word purpose can be slightly intimidating for some people because sometimes it's like, well, I don't know what my purpose is. And it feels, you know, like if you don't know, then you can't have that full 
experience of joy or happiness, but that's why I think also breaking purpose down to smaller bits of meaning, just finding meaning in each day. And it's not so much that you have to have it all figured out. And it doesn't matter if you have a job that you equate with your purpose. Um, what matters is that you are finding pieces of meaning and ways to create meaning, whether it's through connection or through helping others, or even just through small little hobbies that bring you sparks of joy like that that is purpose yeah. and another thing would be showing gratitude i know you've, you've often talked about you know doing the gratitude exercise and, and there are studies that show that people that had you know take the time out every day to write down things that they're grateful for uh, actually increases their potential experience of happiness so you're, you're a big grateful person right <laughs> i am i'm a big gratitude fan Yes. Yes. It's like focusing on the things we do have instead of the things that we wish we had. Yeah. It just, again, brings you into the present. It brings you into your own reality, but with a different appreciation as opposed to a feeling, a feeling of lack. That's what I was thinking. Ah. And I know you're a, an exerciser, but exercise, even a little bit of exercise, they say even just 10 minutes a day, uh, it works to really increase our level of happiness compared to people who never exercise. So exercise seems to, I guess, I guess we're gratifying our bodies and our minds by giving it the exercise that our bodies require. So exercise is important too, isn't it? Yes. I think even chemically, because yeah, yeah. it changes the way your chemicals in your brain operate. Yeah. So, so, you know, why are we pushing happiness? Well, it feels good, that's obviously. <laughs> but it, it gives us an increased satisfaction with life. And, you know, we only, I always look at it as we're on this, this ride called life, you know, like a, at a carousel or a, an amusement park. And we all go on this ride and we have one turn on the ride and we go around once. And then the ride's over and we get off the ride and we either go to heaven or hell. <laughs> I was brought up Catholic. And, and, and you know what? So if you only have this one life, why are you wasting it anticipating being happy? Why are you regretting those things that come and go when you are feeling the joy in the moment? You know, experience the moments in a way that is more courageous. Find more satisfaction. And happiness, once you start to experience it, it, it really helps us, you know, with our coping skills. We become more emotionally resilient there are studies that show it, it leads to better health uh, and even longevity in life. So there are many, many reasons why we want to try to really live happier lives. And you said it earlier in this podcast, and that was the word choice. If you think you can't be happy, look at the choices that you're making. Are they superficial choices? Are they instigated by insecurity instead of practicality? So I, I think it's very important to look at your attitude, pessimism, optimism, and, and make the choice of optimistically looking forward. And you, you know, not trying to own the happiness, but to live more, I guess, intimately with life. And I kind of think that the happiness will find you. Hmm. Am I being too profound or uh, mundane with that either way? No, that kind of sounded like a pep talk. Oh, speaking of which... <laughs> you have another one? Thank you for reminding me. You know what time it is? 
pep talk time. Although Yay. it's like bonus pep talk time. <laughs> and now it's time for the bonus self-coaching pep talk. <laughs> Finding happiness. The misguided goals of money, power, and status are all driven by insecurity. Their outside-in attempts to feel more secure and in control. Only those goals motivated by inside-out awareness, based on self-trust and spontaneity, will lead to lasting happiness. If you find happiness elusive, try this simple behavioral technique that will actually change your brain's anatomy. Simply act as if you're happy. Do this for 15 minutes a day for 15 weeks. Give it a shot. You've got nothing to lose except your unhappiness. I love that. That's the fake it till you make it. There you go. Boy, I didn't realize I was giving two pep talks for the price of one today. I guess that's part of like happiness, right? You can never have too much. <laughs> well, you can get greedy about it, I guess. So let's let's reframe some of those negative thoughts this week. What do you say? Let's let's start realizing that trying to make our lives more balanced and realistic. And you know, when you have those negative thoughts, when you feel yourself unable to really grasp some happiness, or at least a, an approach toward happiness, let's reframe that negativity. Challenge it. Lauren, what would you? How would you reframe? You're thinking to maybe enable more of a uh, of a happy potential to reach you. I would. I, well, I think reframing with gratitude is always a good way to approach just about anything uh, by being thankful and and aware of all the good things around you. There are always things to be grateful for, and if we can put our attention on those things, it just brings more of them, and that's a way of. I suppose. Is that what you mean by reframing? Yeah. No, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't know if you wanted like actual. No, uh, just, just, uh, just not conceding to a negative or pessimistic view of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually driven by insecurity and we're trying to protect ourselves by anticipating danger and all that kind of Danny. What is it? Yeah. Debbie Downer stuff. Debbie Downers. At school with the kids, we have these glasses that we made. So whenever they we catch someone saying something that's negative, they actually make this noise, which is like, wow. and then they have to put their glasses on because the glasses are well, they're called gratitude glasses. But when you put the glasses on, you have to reframe oh. the negative thought you just made. So, so cool. Yeah, 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 it's fun. But but it helps as an adult too, like almost to have some sort of signal. Of course, you wouldn't do it out loud. Yeah, kind of just to bring awareness to the negative thoughts, because a lot of times they happen subliminally and we we don't totally have awareness around them. And so we can go through a day thinking negative thoughts without even noticing it. But if you start to listen to them and then sound the alarm, (laughs) see if you can. Oh, gosh, yes. But we should we should mention that we're we're not ignoring the bad things in our life. We're just trying to make a more balanced, realistic outlook approach to those things that are challenges. So we're not ignoring the negative by reframing. You know, we're not just Pollyanna and going from you know things that are just really difficult, and we're not turning our back on them and just saying you know life is much better than it is. But but we're not really. I guess we're not really contributing to the negative. We're putting on those glasses, like you say, and we're trying to just get a a different outlook that isn't so demandingly negative. 
Exactly, a different perspective. And oftentimes with challenges and negative experiences, we have the opportunity to look at them as opportunities, as points of growth and ways to become a new version of ourselves. So there are ways, even in the most challenging of times, to have a, an optimistic or happy driven outlook. Now, can we consider that your closing remark of the day? Well, I also would like to say I saved this for the end because I thought you were going to put me on the spot for a closing remark. <laughs> All right, I'll reframe that. I have one final thing to say, um, which is that there is a quote I love so much by Brene Brown that says the magic is in the mess. And I just love that in what you know in relation to happiness because a lot of times the magic the happiness the joy is right there in front of us like things don't have to be perfect things don't have to be all lined up you don't have to accomplish or achieve anything to be able to just enjoy the happiness the magic it's it's all around us whether things are you know all lined up or in a big massive mess like there's always the opportunity to choose joy Happiness, uh, magic is in the mess, not happiness. Ha magic is in the, that's wonderful because oftentimes our world is, is rather chaotic and we and all the pieces don't fit together, but the magic is somewhere in there. And that's the encouragement we need is that we don't need to change lives in order to be happy. We need to look within the mess and derive from that, that happiness, that potential that's there, maybe hidden, maybe camouflaged, but as you say, so, so just let me say this before we go. Uh, I hear from a little birdie that self-studio's learning is really becoming quite popular. And uh, Lauren's going to tell us a little bit about selfstudioslearning.com. Tell me a little bit about self-studio's learning, which is our sponsor of self-coaching. Yes, self-studio's learning is a company that holds psychology-based wellness programs for children. So it's this new and innovative curriculum that actually offers young children and teenagers the opportunity to learn the skills and approaches and coping tools that often people don't learn until they are adults. And uh, we want to give children the opportunity to actually learn how to self-regulate, how to manage emotions, and how to just optimize potential because these soft skills are things that are not taught in school. And so we believe at Self Studios that by giving children these tools at a young age, their potential will certainly expand. Mm. So Lauren, thank you so much for telling us a little bit more about Self Studios Learning. What a remarkable program. Congratulations. I'm so glad to hear about how well you guys are doing. It's selfstudioslearning.com, selfstudioslearning, one word. Thank you, Dad. So you're quite welcome. So Lauren, I'm going to sign off because I, I really, since I had almost two pep talks, and you're only supposed to sound the alarm when you say something negative <laughs> oh okay so i'm going to be signing off that's a negative <laughs> and i will see you next week same time same station is that correct yes sir okay unless you choose to abandon me <laughs> 
And visit our websites, selfcoaching.net or selfstudioslearning.com, where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And while you're at selfcoaching.net, check out my latest number one best-selling book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. So... Until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you are not powerless. And remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join Lauren and me every week, and let's make it simple together. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems Hold on and fight, follow your heart This is your way